You're listening to Colored Commentary, a Threaded podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Threaded and the ways to support and donate to this organization, check out wearethreaded.org. Now, here's the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Colored Commentary. Colorful conversations by colorful people about Christianity, culture, and race. I am your host, Marcus Lloyd, and in here and in here in the studio with me, as always, Mr. Antoine Malone. Antoine, say what's up to the people today, my friend. What's up? What's up, Color Commentary fam? It's, I feel like it's been a minute since we've been on the mics uh, for podcasting, and so um, I'm, it feels good to be back, in a it sense. I don't know if people will feel like we were gone for that long, but I don't know. Yeah, it, it just, it just feels like a long time, though. Yeah, it depends on how they engage with us in all kinds of different ways. Obviously, true, we have true. Our, our monthly conversation that we do true. via YouTube. But I know we tend to take, you know, breaks uh, when the summer rolls because I don't know about you. Well, look, I do know about you because I know that you were going to say that. I do know about you. You ain't running kids around uh, at your house anymore. But I am I forget every year uh, that it's just. I think, oh, the summer, it's going to be a break. This is going to be amazing. No, bro, no, 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 no. It's not. like it's break one thing, but the activation of another, for sure. You know, I'm telling you, you know, my wife goes to work at the time that I'm trying to go to work, but she didn't have the flexibility, so I'm running kids to everything all the time. It's, it's wild. So I'm excited to be in here. Another episode of Color Commentary. And Antoine, I'm excited about this episode. We got a good friend coming in here today. Yes, uh, sir. And, uh, and she has been... Um, She's been active. You know what I'm saying? She's got a lot of things going right now. She is an author. She is a bridge builder. She's got a, a psychology degree. I don't know what you do with a psychology degree, but I never heard people doing as You understand people this. slowly but surely. Yeah, exactly. And she is definitely utilizing this in the things that she's doing as being a social counselor, a mentor. She really works in the spaces around kids, families, youth. How are we going to have this race conversation? And that's indicative of her work. She's got a great book that just came out called The Story of Juneteenth. Got another one. I've got several that she's done before and another one coming out called The Brown, just Brown Baby Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. I'm all in on trying to understand Brown Baby Jesus. I'm down. So I'm excited. Excited to have her on the show. Please, uh, color commentary audience, welcome to the show, Miss Dorena Williamson. How you doing, Dorena? Oh, I am doing so, so well. I'm, I'm sitting here going, what do you do with a psychology degree? <laughs> I, I, I'm still, it's been a, a couple years since college, but I've certainly, you don't do the things that I've done. You don't That's plan okay. to do what I've done. Hey, you, you know, know what, what I mean? It's, we're, we've got, you know, my kids are getting older. I know Antoine's kids are in the college space and just out. And, and I, one of the things I tell, you know, the teens and whatnot students is like look when you college in so much is it's so much more about the experience of being out on your own if you can afford to do it you know what i'm saying yes uh as opposed to even the degree you're getting i know i i, I am i have a, a double major in theater and television although i'm i guess i'm doing a little bit of that right now uh most of that stuff that uh i learned there I, when i got into ministry i was not utilizing so who knows? Who knows Who what knows? degrees need? Foundation stuff. All that That's stuff right. is foundation That's stuff. That's right. That's well, on and, top of it. And God knows. As I as Hallelujah. gave the intro, I thought, you know what? God knew. Mm-hmm. He still knows. And there's great rest in that because there's a lot we don't know. That's right. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I'm excited about uh, the work that you are doing, whether that's cl- connected to psychology or not. Uh, I know, look, 
we we got so many things we can talk about, but I just want to start off with uh, a book that is so your book that you just released because I think it's so apropos to where our society is and, and the excitement that it has around this new uh, holiday that we just celebrated not too long ago. And the book is called uh, "The Story of Juneteenth." So tell us a little bit about uh, what the story is and kind of what made you want to write a, a book like this. Well, the the beautiful part of the st- my story of writing the book, The Story of Juneteenth, is that this is a project that came to me. And that is such an honor and really a dream for an author to be approached with an opportunity like this. And uh, I, I was approached right after Juneteenth 2021. So, you know, President Biden had just signed yeah. as a federal holiday in our city. I live in Franklin, Tennessee, which is in the Nashville, Tennessee area. And for the first time, our downtown district was shut down mm. for a, a citywide Juneteenth festival. So it was a really, really big deal for the Southern sure. Civil War city to, to yeah. celebrate at such a wide scale. So my family was riding high the Juneteenth you know, just, man, this has been amazing. And then I get this email and it's like, oh my goodness, mm. what in the world is God <laughs> up to here? And, uh, and you know, honestly, guys, I had a really full plate. You know, I had a yeah. book that was coming out in the fall and then another one, you know, uh, at uh, the beginning of 22. And, you know, so I was busy with the edits and all the things with that. But it was just an opportunity that I could not say no to because I knew it would be, um, historical moment. Yeah. Um, this is a board book. So, you know, for those who have not seen it, it is a book that is specifically for the youngest pre-readers, you know, mm, those okay. babies who are going to be right. putting it in their mouth and, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, those pages that are pretty indestructible, yes. um, you know, for little hands to start turning. But, you know, this publisher understood that, you know, even the youngest babies and pre-readers need to begin having these seeds planted in their hearts and that parents and caregivers and grandparents and community leaders want them to begin understanding this important history. And I have to Mm. wait until they can read it on their own. And certainly in our day and age where important history like Juneteenth has not only not been taught, but is specifically being carved out Mm. of our educational institutions. So it was such a God ordained um, providential opportunity I saw to be a part of giving history for these young children. And and then I realized that adults need the important history of Juneteenth <laughs> in this package too, right? Because yeah. a lot of us, myself included, didn't grow up. You know, y'all are both in Texas, but a lot mm-hmm. of people, as I'm learning, a lot of Black people, even outside right. of the state of Texas, did not grow up learning much at all about Juneteenth. And so now that it's a federal holiday and it's certainly been celebrated worldwide for some time, um, this was just a great opportunity for me to, to be a part of, of putting something out there. And um, it has sold very well. I just yeah, got sure. some, some input from my agent about it and, and they're all really, really pleased at how it's been received and um, hoping that, you know, it's just a, a perennial favorite every year, not just for Juneteenth, but as people consider the body of history to teach our kids that this book will be a part of that. Yeah, it's so interesting because, you know, writing writing a, a Juneteenth book is I think about it like artists making Christmas albums. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it just yes. it just rotates every year. It's going to be a That's thing. Right. Uh, yes, but but in your particular case, I mean, you're talking about Juneteenth. It's not just about a holiday, but it's actually a, a connection to 
uh, a history and a history that hadn't been told. And as you were mentioning, you know, you were talking about the idea that when you start to now talk about history, some people want to carve that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I'm just curious, have you have you gotten any pushback even at the preschool level uh, or any sort of uh, accusations of being sort of this, you know, <laughs> Marxist or, or critical race theorist, you know what I mean, because you're, you've created this book. Have you gotten any of that? Not for this book. I have for other things that I've written, but sure. so far, not not for this book. Now, it's just been out um, for a few months. You know, it released early May. <laughs> She's like, so, so it's uh, early yet. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> we, we, we found it then, dropped it into their preschool, you know, curriculum <laughs> yet. You know, That's right. It, um, it was released as schools were ending and, yes. um, and that kind of thing. But I, I expect to. And that's part of um, that's part of what doing this kind of work means is is understanding that uh, there are going to be people who don't like it, who look at you like, why are you wanting babies and toddlers and preschoolers to read a book that that shows an image of Africans enslaved and shows, um, you know, the 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 tragedy of them being separated from their homeland? And how do you break down into the language that a young child can understand um, the brutality? Let's not soften what it meant to be enslaved and what it meant to have freedom news delayed for over two years. You Mm, know, um, children deserve to understand that they understand fairness. They may not understand all of the big terms that, that we grapple with, but they should and can begin understanding, um, you know, anybody that has little uh, babies, children are selfish. They, they want that toy and they want something. And if you tell them they can't have it, and they uh, drop to the floor and start kicking those little legs. Uh, mm-hmm. They understand what it means to not get their way. <laughs> right. And so they can begin understanding what that looks like in history. And again, this is about starting. You know, it's a starting point. So, you know, I did have a reviewer that sort of criticized that it was a limited um, portrayal. And I thought, well, Maybe you didn't understand that it was 250 words, like know, a board a, book for toddlers. Uh, this is not an encyclopedia, an exhaustive sure. account. Um, sure. As much as I wish I could have gone on about reconstruction and really gone in depth sure. in yeah. black history, but 250 words is 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 intended to just um, lay the foundation and plant some seeds. And, yeah, and I, I think we did it well. I'm really pleased with it and, and hope that it will be, as you said, Marcus, something that families pull out yeah. um, for, for years to come. Yeah, Darina. So I was in a, I was in a, I guess a conversation, a political conversation about a year ago or a little, some months ago, and we're, it was a critical race theory conversation. And one of the things it, it, we got to was what, what material should be in schools. And um, one of the things, one of the gentlemen who were sort of anti these conversations was like, hey, you know, we don't want activism Um in our schools, we don't want to create young activists is kind of what he was insinuating. I'm sure you've heard other other statements similar to that. So in a way, in a way, sort of reflecting what some people might in our audience be thinking, which is, man, how do you make um, how do you make that age appropriate? And and what do you say to those who are banning the books out of schools in 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 the you know, with the idea of we don't want to you know, create shame or create activism at too early of an age, you know, what's, what's some of your responses to, to those, to those critiques? Well, those are really important conversations. And um, 
I think about the city that I live in, Franklin, Tennessee, and how my children, I have four children who are now ages 18 to 28, but when my children were young in elementary school, part of their school field trips, public schools, mm-hmm. were to our local um, plantations. Now yeah. some of the names have been changed, but Same. because our city was very involved in the Civil War, and I've learned the history and can repeat it. The Battle of Franklin was one of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and that that's history, right? right. Uh, but in our city for so long, the history that has been told, both in the museums, in the monuments, in the books, in the, in the gift shops that you go in and the offerings that are there are all dominated by one perspective. It's the perspective right. of the South. And you would think that they won the war. And so, you know, to to people, did they not? Say, they didn't. They didn't win the war. Uh, they they still like to think they did. Okay, Let's just, they uh, like uh, to think they did. Yes, yes. Um, and so, you know, to people who say that, I say, so do you not believe children should be taught any history? And I think most of them will say, well, well, no, they should be taught his. So, you know, when you peel back all the layers, what it is, is they don't want, they want them to only be taught certain perspectives or certain parts of history. Sure. Yeah. And typically the conversations today are to not make white children or white people feel any sense of guilt or shame. Sure. And so, you know, I, I heard recently, I believe it was um, author and beautiful, just human Ibram Kendi talk about um, how we should teach all of this subject because it it's not about aiming. I don't know anyone who says, I want to teach this to make white people feel bad. That certainly was not my intent. My sure. intent in writing this book was to lift up a part of history that has not been told mm-hmm. um, to give it um, to the youngest children so they can begin understanding and just on begin, they're going to grow and learn more. But yeah. I remember him talking about how if we're going to teach this history, it's a beautiful opportunity to teach our white people and our black people mm-hmm. and people all races about, you know, the Underground Railroad, about, you know, the white people who came alongside and helped, you know, so it's not aiming to shame. It's aiming to say all along in this freedom journey. You know, there were there were white people who agreed. There were white people who disagreed. But there, let's let's allow some of our white children to enter in to understand that you could be part of the white people who who came along and said, "I believe slavery was wrong," and, yeah. and said, "I'm not only gonna gonna believe that it's wrong, but I'm gonna do something about it. I'm gonna gonna walk out freedom with my hands and my feet and opening my home to the Underground Railroad and speaking up to help." you know, create, you know, uh, abolitionist movements yeah. and on and on and the things that continue today. So, um, you know, I think those conversations are hard to do only online, stranger to stranger and be yeah. I think that bridge builders have to exercise wisdom on when they should lend their energy to engage and yeah. when they're honestly just wasting their time. Sure. Because there are people who want to learn and grow and they deserve um <clears throat> our our best um you know efforts and energy and and those who just want to argue and put down um i say lead them to spin around in circles <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and you know and, and to your point if, if people are educating right it's it's not going to be a, a silver bullet resource that's going to do it all 
it, it just can't be done. So what what I hear, and you know, I'm thinking back to the critique you got about it's it's you know it's it's not a robust enough you know account mm -hmm. of teeth mm -hmm. and all those things. Well, I, I think what we have to be is is much like we we think about if I can put it in the terms that you're talking about our American history, whether you're learning in Franklin, Tennessee, or you know Dallas, Texas, or Chicago, like. You don't you don't go to history and get one book and then you're, you're knocked out and you're, you're done like it's a continual understanding because there's so much to be brought up and part of what i see you doing in the midst of telling the story of juneteenth is bringing up a, a, a another faction or, or section of history that exists it's just not talked about that's right, right? so it, it's in and for for you know those who are in preschool or elementary school or, or even beyond um, you're giving people opportunity to see themselves and where they existed in the midst of these stories that they're hearing. Uh, and so those things aren't always fun to see. Like, it's not fun to grow up and go, okay, if I existed in this time period of when Juneteenth was happening, like I would have been a slave being, you know, freed. It's not fun to see that, but it's a recognition. But also to your point, like, it's an opportunity for our white brothers and sisters to also see where they exist or could have existed in that moment. That's right. Both, both, both for positive and for ill. You know That's what I mean? Right. There, there are those who, who made the decision to to try to hide the emancipation from others. And there's those who tried to further the emancipation. So if you can see yourself or you see the different characters that represent maybe culturally where you come from historically, you then can make a better decision on which one do you want to follow in the footsteps of going forward. That is absolutely uh, yeah. correct. You That's know, right. so I, I just think it's it's great, and and I know people are. Yeah, it's weird. Good. It's weird because you know so much of the conversation, you know, like we like we've articulated is, you know, many white people trying to not feel shame and guilt, and yet you know these are stories of emancipation. These are these are these are stories that end positively, if you will. Right. Where America made the right choice. So at the end of this, you know, Juneteenth is an American holiday for America to be proud about at the end. Right. The story leading up to it is problematic. You know, you have the you have the slave, you have the freedom, then you have the two year. We didn't we didn't want to let them know that. Right. So that stuff is bad. But eventually America overcomes another chapter of its racial negative history and that's something to celebrate Absolutely. that's something to be that's something to be proud about mm -hmm. and so you don't you, you, shame only will linger if you don't get to the end of even that story right, right. and it's the same way for pretty much all of american <clears throat> african american history leading up to modern day we still have our challenges today but we have a series of of uh success points that we can say we're proud that we moved from A to B and then from B to C and then that's from right. C to D and D to E. And, and those are things that's American history at that point, right? It's African-American, but it's Americans who have, who has helped move that forward. And I don't know, it, it's weird to me that the shame of the problem is overshadowing the pride of the success. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? And they want us uh, and, to get stuck. That's it. You know, they, they want us to, to get stuck. And I don't know any parent who, you know, if their child keeps wanting to to run out in the street, um, does not, I, I'm not going to say use shame, but emphasize, I'm telling you over and over, there's a reason why yeah. I don't want you to run out in the street. Now, you can take them and lock them in a room, you know, and throw away sure. the key. Right. Or you can continue to emphasize to that child, I do not want your life in danger. Cars are driving fast. 
they may not see you. A, B. This is the area where you can run to your heart's content and have a blast. But this area, this is where something dangerous could happen, you know? And so that's why I, and again, and, and if the child tries to run into a space and you have to rescue them or God forbid, you know, something you know, Grab happens. Grab them before they get out there. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and there has to be some discipline or some, some punishment beyond that. You know, again, a wise parent says, I am trying to protect you. And there's a reason that that this has to go that way. So, you know, I love, I love your point. And I just think we have to see, you know, the, the, um, the roadblocks for what they are, you know, is a detraction from the good work. Um, mm -hmm. It is people who don't want to deal with, um, you know, the difficult parts of our, our past. And, and if we can relegate this into the realm of believers, people who know Jesus, Mm -hmm. We understand that we don't live in or sit in shame, but yeah. we do understand repentance. We do understand brokenness. We do understand godly sorrow. Those are very biblical concepts, even though mm -hmm. folks are uncomfortable with them as well. Sure. But you right. you cannot be a Christian without a cross. Like it, it, it does not exist. You know, Jesus right. was clear that following him involved denying oneself and carrying a cross. It, it was clear. And so those are Jesus's verbatim words. So, you know, we we should be able to understand those things and understand that there's going to be some hardship. There's not it's not intended to be easy. It's not intended to make us feel good all the time. Um, you know, it certainly should break our heart when when we realize, acknowledge our sin, acknowledge our propensity to do those things that go against the heart of our father. And so, um, you know, they should not be complicated conversations for the people of God, but we know that they are. And that's why yeah. your good work exists to help people who are believers be able to take these conversations into a place where we can really unpack them and understand the power and, and the light of Christ and how that affects what we do. Yeah. And, and I love the, you know, the, the, the format you're taking really kind of, you know, zooming in on the church and the things that they can learn in the midst of those conversations. Right. And I think looking at Juneteenth specifically, I mean, what there's there's very few places in which you find the, the gospel narrative really articulated kind of in a very historical space. Right. You had these people who were in slavery and then there's this announcement that they are now free. Right. Like it's it's what happens on the cross, you know, and, the, and, and the, it's hard because, you know, if you really look at the cross in such a way, in a certain way, people could turn that into the story of the cross as a story of shame as well. Right. Because there's no reason for Jesus to die unless we were, you know, you know, problematic. Sinful. Yeah, we were, we were problematic. And right. so I could sit here and go, oh, I was problematic. And no, no we, 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 we actually uh, major in on the fact that we, we don't have to be problematic anymore. It can be free from that. I, I, right. I, I, I want to, I want to, I almost want to rename Juneteenth to like liberation day yes, um, because yes. it's, a, but, but it's a liberation. And this is part of, I think the conversation we need to have even as, as black people as well. I, I think it's, there is a value in recognizing that there's lots of ways in which we have been, been denied the, um, the, the um, uh, raising of value of our history and our, and, and the ways we contributed to this country's history. And so there's a, a a point where we start to get holidays and we go, okay, this is a black holiday. We're going to do this and, and we're going to show black people that we appreciate them and all those things. But I think if we, if we stretch it out a little bit, uh, everybody, everybody is liberated on that particular day, right? Black people are liberated physically, but there's a, there's a spiritual liberation that happens to our white brothers and sisters on Juneteenth and that day as well, a liberation from the evils of white supremacy that have been shackling them uh, through slavery, right? This, this separation that they have, 
from uh, in being in full relationship with God by living out something that was contrary to his nature and, and, and who he was. And so to be freed from this sin that, 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 the, that the devil had put on our white brothers and sisters that was framed in this supremacy of a particular group, uh, that's something to be celebrated. Like, yes. <laughs> let's, let's all celebrate the liberation that we get to experience on that particular day. Uh, and maybe call it, uh, in, in some ways, it's a, another, if not a, a, a better kind of, I'm not going to say better, another kind of Independence Day yes. uh, in the midst of our country for the people of our country, right? Absolutely. So Absolutely. I, I think that that it that there have been different um, you know, nicknames given to you know Juneteenth, but certainly you know Freedom Day, you know um, Liberation Day. I mean, it's such a beautiful celebration of of freedom. And and I, as I was sitting here listening to you all, I thought to myself, you know, I know parents of little toddlers and preschoolers when they are decorating for the the Fourth of July and planning their fireworks. At some point. I'm sure most of them tell their children what it what is this all about? What's mm -hmm. this red, white, and blue? Like, why are we having a cookout or yes. celebrate? What what is that? And so that's that's very much what the point of, of this book is and this this um, you know history that is something that everyone can enter into understanding and celebrating because it is, as you said, Antoine, a beautiful point of of American history. You know that this freedom news was news was brought to. Um, the enslaved in Texas and that, you know, black soldiers, United States colored troop soldiers were part of the delegation who came present. Can you imagine yeah, how it right. felt for them to yeah. see freedom news brought not just by, you know, General Granger and, and the, the federal troops, but also black soldiers? Mm. Like, yeah. Something they would never have imagined. <laughs> and the beauty that we can continue to enter into that kind of spirit when we celebrate Juneteenth, but also consider you know, how freedom is still delayed and denied um, today and how we need to raise up, you know, these narratives that celebrate um, these these beautiful points in, in our history. And we really need to do that. Yeah. I And, you know, and, and as you, you know, we, we've been talking about the, the book, Juneteenth, uh, the story of Juneteenth. And if, if you got, haven't got it, you, you you don't have to have a preschooler to, to have it in your uh, in your library, you know, what I'm saying so definitely go check that out. And, you know, you know, I, we, we've talked many times, Dorena, and, you know, obviously are extremely intelligent uh, uh, young lady. You've got all kinds of stuff and and just knowledge and wisdom to drop. Um, why why children's books? You know what I mean? What what kind of drew you in to, to take all? Because I don't know about you. It's kind of like I think about it like when, when I preach and they're like, hey, you got 25 minutes. I'm like, 25 minutes? You know, I'm going to have to like bring all this into like this very small space. I know. it. Like, you know what I mean? That's hard enough. But then to kind of go, OK, I've got to make I've got to put words in here that are age appropriate. Like I've got to take all this huge, uh, you know, vocabulary I have and kind of bring it to this space. Like like what? What inspired you to kind of go down this road to engage in writing books for children? Well, again, this is a calling that found me. I wish I could say, oh, I just sat down and looked at the market <laughs> and decided, you know, I think I'm Here's going to choose. <laughs> no, um, I have to give God glory and give credit to him for the work that I've been a part of because He's the one that that gave me these story seeds um, during some difficult years in, in ministry, um, you know, doing multiracial, multicultural church work for a long time certainly has has had some beauty, but has had a lot of pain as well. And in the midst of some just a season of, of really hardship where I was wrestling with God, um, 
he started giving me these, these story seeds. And uh, I, you know, realized that God was taking that psychology degree where I, I learned, you know, I mean, who would have thought? <laughs> Certainly not when I was in college. No one said you could use this degree and write children's books. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I see the wisdom of God because I know that he has called me to communicate his truth and his wisdom and his beauty that rests on humankind mm -hmm. um, in a way that um, children can easily grasp, you know, to yeah. really impart these relevant messages. And in writing for children, I found that it's very much like Jesus telling parables as mm. he took yeah. um, these, these simple stories and used them to impart these really intricate and powerful truths that his disciples often would say, uh, master, hello, we, we really didn't get that. <laughs> Can you explain mm -hmm. it again? Um, you know, but Jesus used topics and, and, and portrayals that were relevant to his first century um, audiences. You know, he'd use the mustard seed. Well, you know, we might cook with mustard or have mustard seed seasoning in our cabinets, but that's not really something that we chop it up about a lot. But to his first century audience, you know, they understood mustard seed. They understood, you know, using fishing, using a farmer sowing, um, you know, an olive tree and, and things like that. And so um, I find that it's been refreshing as someone who came to faith as a child to approach these subjects with the heart of a child because Jesus centered children. And when his disciples argued about greatness, he responded to them often by calling a child into his midst and saying, if you want to be great, you need to be like this child. So I tell people, I write for the greatest. Mm, Jesus said the children are the greatest in the kingdom, you know, that the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And so it is an honor, truly, to take these, these big subjects like Juneteenth, like colorblindness in, in my book, Colorful, like, you know, people who, you know, have a disability, unique gifts and thoughtful and champion them, you know, to, to chop it up about homelessness and how we yeah. share God's grace in the book, Graceful um, and on and on to, to take these messages and to to do what you just said, Marcus, try to condense it yeah. <laughs> to a specific word count, yeah. Yeah. but also nice. in a, a language base that children understand. Um, I find that I am also writing children's books, as my tagline says, that adults need to, because many of our peers, their parents grew up being taught. And let's let's not say it was in the past. Still today, gotcha. churches are teaching that not all of us bear the image of God. Right. Yeah. Um, but certainly a lot of our peers mm. in, in the 19th and 20th century were specifically taught in their churches by their pastors and their Bible commentaries that people who look like us did not bear the image of God, that we were cursed to allow to to confirm um, things like you know, enslavement and like, mm -hmm. um, you know, Jim Crow laws and like sure. treating us as second class citizens and all and all. So I have an opportunity to come against that um, darkness and those lies that have been perpetuated for generations. Yes, yes. <laughs> because I believe that God's truth endures to all generations. Mm -hmm. We can break the lies and we can start with children who want to know. And those children are reading with parents yeah. who want to do better. And then yeah. those parents yeah. 
are sharing those books with grandparents who might be a little uncomfortable with some of these subjects. <laughs> who have to babysit that night and say, hey, you're supposed to be reading Thoughtful tonight. You need to read that one. Granny, this is my favorite book. And then Granny got to say, no, I don't want to read you your favorite book. <laughs> I read no Juneteenth book. Right. I don't want to read that. Certainly not before you go to bed. Right, right. Oh, what kind I, of dreams you want to have with this? But I've received, y'all, I've received pictures of, there's just one picture I have of a sweet little blonde girl who has colorful, it is laying on her face and she has fallen asleep. And her mama said, you know, this is what she wants to read before she goes to bed. And y'all, that just blessed yes. my heart so big that and this it. sweet baby is growing up and she's not getting from my book any lies that say that her brown or tan or other beautifully hued friends are, are not equally bearing the image of God like she is. Yes. Um, so that's that's why I that's why I'm writing children's books and why I linger in this space because I see the opportunity to make a difference at the level of these young ones and and to continue to let the difference sort of stream up to yes. the adults that influence them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and uh you know you were talking about the idea of of folks obviously now and and definitely historically people kind of you know measuring the value of people uh based on their skin color and i I think another thing is i as i you know kind of have looked at your books you're also battling sort of the nouveau um sort of invisibility of color right the color Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh you know what i mean you want to talk about that and kind of how that kind of works into your your books as well as well yes yes well that really is the subject of my first book and um you know what a it it was a risk i knew Mm. um i i understood from doing this multicultural church thing for a couple of decades now that especially our white brothers and sisters have really leaned heavily into colorblindness because it seems like a better place to be than to be, you know, full out segregationist or, or sure. you know, hating people of color. So we'll just switch the needle all the way over. Right. We used to be this and now we're just going to be colorblind and I'm going to sure. teach my children not to see color. And that seems like the right thing. Mm. Um, and I understand where that comes from. Um, you know, I see people try to co-opt Dr. King's dream and say, even sure. Dr. King will leave in colorblindness. He say he sure. don't want his children. One, one line. Yeah. The one line that they know, right? They don't know nothing else. They ain't read the whole, ain't read the whole speech. They just Not pull a, out that one line. Just, That's their part. Sure. So I knew it was a risk, but I also knew that um, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And as I considered it, guys, I thought, you know, we have known the truth of God as it is articulated from Genesis to Revelation, from Genesis one, where God said, let us make man in our image, in the image of God, he made them, male and female, he made them. So we all are created in the image of God. He did not give any exclusions. He did not say only these people are stamped with my image and not those people. And so, you know, I felt this holy conviction that for those who are wrestling and think that they're resting in this safe land of colorblindness as a great way to not discuss and to mute conversations about race, knowing that that's not helpful, because when you say you don't see me, you mm-hmm. aren't seeing who God created. And God made me like this. I'm not an accident. My brown skin and the all that you, we all have different hues of brown amongst the three of us. And our color was not an oops or an accident. It was God's beautiful 
and careful crafting. And we as the people of God should have been teaching that and yeah. teaching how to see it and celebrate it. Not to say, oh, I don't see it because that's not true because we teach our children to see color. And so I just felt like God was giving me this idea of maybe I can help walk people through the reality that we do teach children to see colors. We teach them with the fruit and the vegetables they eat. We teach them with the clothes sure. they wear. We teach them to observe around them from the time they're young, their first words. And so if we teach them to see all these colors around them, then why would we embrace a logic about race and culture and skin color yeah. that says we don't see color? So when you bring it down that lane, then you see this aha moment for people like, you know, I never thought about it from that perspective. And that's really what I've gotten overwhelmingly from my first book, From Colorful. I I'm grateful that it's been a bestseller. It landed me on the ECPA bestseller list mm -hmm. and it continues to sell really well. You know, um, you know, a couple years in now, it released in 2018. So we're four years in. And right. I, I just think it's 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 a way not to Again, not to use the word shame, not yep. to shame, not to slam people, not to say you are wrong, <laughs> but to say, hey, I get that you're using this because you think it's helpful. Let's take that away. And here's something that's better. Yeah. Or or potentially or I say or it could be and. Um, but we talked about not letting the process be the destination. Right. So, like, it, it could just simply be that you know, the step from seeing people being with a racialized point of view, right, to be overly negatively racialized is for them to say, OK, I'm going to try to not see that. But they can't stop there because the next step is to no, no, no. Well, now that I've hit that reset, now I'm going to relook, see this person for the beauty that they are instead of for the negative. So it's like it, it, there may be a three, four, five step process. Yes, yes. And and step two might be the sort of decolorization, if you will, in your lenses. But if you stop right there, you actually haven't gotten to where you where you need to be. You can't love your neighbor well if you don't see your neighbor. That's right. uh, but, but it feels like so. I so like it feels like a a um like you're saying. A lot of people see it as a valiant thing to say, hey, I don't see color. And there's a part of me that wants to say, well, that's only good if you used to see color in a negative way. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so you move from negative to zero. Now let's move from zero to 10, Correct. right? Correct. You know what I'm saying? And, mm -hmm. and, and, and continue the growth, right? This isn't the end of this thing. You don't get to close the book now. And I think mm -hmm. part of the private conversation that people I think some people feel like it is the end, like to say, hey, I'm going to be I'm going to be colorblind is OK. I fixed my race. I fixed the race thing and I'm done. And mm -hmm. and actually, no, no, no. Keep going. Move out of that to use the number scale. Move out of that negative side of the numbers and how you look at people of color into the positive side. And don't just get stuck at zero, but see them see them positive and good, you yes. know? Yes. Yeah, and I think that that's you know what's great about, um, if I can say, in some ways, what's great about writing children's books is that there is a paradigm, and you're dealing with lots of different pieces of the journey, right? As you write your book, so you got colorful, right? You're, you're dealing in some ways with 
colorblindness. You've got thoughtful, right? And so this is more of really being able to think and see inside of people's perspective and how they live life uh, a little bit, you know, uh, crowned with glory is, is really, it's kind of dealing with that, kind of the hair and the beauty of, of, of the hair, the black hair, but even graceful kind of where people kind of move to uh, that paradigm of, of seeing your neighbor and how their life is. Uh, and that particular story, you've got, you know, girl who's run into another girl who's who's from a, a family that's that's homeless right but they correct they go to church, they go to church together correct right? and so now you're starting to to look outside and go now i'm going to see your situation yeah how do i enter into this situation if we're truly going to be friends it's not just about me seeing oh you're different than me you're you're unique and i'm one of and i'm stepping into your, your your thought process and thinking about it but i see your situation and i i want to enter into that with you yes to help you to get to a place of flourishing right so yes. you're hitting all of these kind of uh, big pillars of the conversation but doing it uh, through children's books and uh and, and and if i can say to listeners it's an encouragement to get the set you know what i mean so you can kind of walk uh you know the kids uh and who you're talking to through all of these different things so they don't get stuck uh on just one of those but that they'll engage because uh, e even even kind of you know jumping into the let me help my my black friend could be disastrous if if they don't think about the uniqueness of, of how to engage with them and why they're if they haven't zeroed out yet yeah, yeah exactly yeah. exactly mm -hmm. so I, I appreciate that and and that leads me to to this to this next book that you got coming out right brown baby jesus now i can you know uh one of the things i i love is whoever's your, whoever's doing your illustrations uh beautiful uh, and when you, if you're, if you're a person like me who grew up in a place uh, where you didn't see a lot of people of color represented in anything you were reading, like when you look at the covers of these books, like it just does something in your heart. And as a father who has these <laughs> biracial children, like yeah. be able to give them a look, and that we love that growing up, we were always searching for these these books that are going to give them a sense of not only black people, right, but also. Uh, mixed children, right? Like yes, the biracial yes. children. We, and so we found groups of books that did that too. So being able to see the visuals is really great. Um, and so as I was looking, I was seeing the, the upcoming for your brown baby Jesus. And and just, uh, the, again, the listeners, you you definitely need to check out, just go to, it, it, I guess you can go to uh, darinawilliamson.com and you can probably find aspects of it as well. Um, but just uh, what looks to be a, a, a brown uh probably Joseph and Mary holding a brown uh, kind of a little mini Afro Jesus, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> so talk about that. I, yes. I, I it's interesting to, to listen. Sure. Yes, I am just so, I'm so full of joy uh, when I think about this book. First of all, because I am, um, I was born December 20th, so I'm a Christmas I'm a Christmas kid. So, there you, go. you know, it's there's, there's something really, really sweet and special for me. Um, having the opportunity to release a, a, a Christmas book. But um, even bigger than that, um, you know, this book represents um, several things. Um, you know, years ago, I had the opportunity to visit um, the Holy Land again, and I was struck by the depictions that different countries did of the Holy Family. And yeah. um, as a Christian, not just someone who goes, oh, Jesus, nice, you know, historic figure and Mary and Joseph. Okay, I've heard of them. But someone who, who loves Jesus and trusts Jesus as my savior and understands that Jesus didn't just come to earth and, and give us this, the shepherds and the wise men, but he came to save people, all people. Mm -hmm. And that God crafted a story 
um, just as we all represent a story, a story of his son. Um, but I was struck as I looked at those depictions of all these different ethnicities who depicted the Holy Family as one of them. And I thought of that evangelical term that we throw around, that Jesus is our personal savior. Right. And I thought, this is the essence of that because they made Jesus personal to them. They felt that Jesus is a reflection of their culture, if you, if you will, that, that he embodied their people, that they could identify with him. And, and that was precious to me when I saw the depictions and then fast forward 10 or so years later, you know, when, when I began tossing this opportunity around, um, it also came out of a response from a little boy in my church who was frustrated that all the depictions he saw of Jesus were white. Sure. And he is uh, an adopted little, little beautiful brown boy in a family with white parents and had mm -hmm. expressed that to his white mom and said, I think Mr. Rena ought to write a book. <laughs> uh, about a brown Jesus. And, you know, it's so fun. To, kids tell me all kinds of book ideas and oh, good. to write about. And I love that. <laughs> I, I literally wish I could write about everything that children think I should. Like, right. <laughs> I'd be so busy. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, all of those things sort of combined in my mind. And, and so, you know, this book is the, besides, yes, absolutely portraying a beautiful brown Jesus with bushy hair, which I love. Um, it also is an opportunity for us to engage in the biblical narrative yeah. of the people in Jesus's genealogy. And we know as adults that there's, you know, a prostitute named Rahab and yeah. there's, you know, Tamar and there's Bathsheba um, and there's Ruth. Um, you know, Ruth and Mary probably have the easiest stories for us to share. The other three women, it's kind of like uh, maybe we aren't going to talk about Rahab and what she did and Bathsheba sure. and David's, you know, power dynamic and make, you know, bringing her to his bed and, and Tamar mm -hmm. and her father-in-law. Like we don't really easily unpack those stories, but they were specifically included in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus yeah. for a reason. Um, as well as an old couple who couldn't have children, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And, you know, Anna and Simeon, you know, two old saints who waited for decades to see the promised Messiah. And so to have the opportunity to include all these different people and to set the story during the period of time that Jesus's family spent in Egypt, which is not something that is mm -hmm. typically portrayed in a Christmas story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so all of that sort of combined together. And if people go to, you know, my socials on my website, I just put up today a couple of sneak peek um, interiors as we're getting out the pre-order campaign yes. where folks can pre-order and get some fun freebies to enjoy. Um, but I'm excited. I also do anticipate some kickback because this is going to sure. disrupt. Yeah. People will probably feel like, why are y'all messing with our beloved Jesus? Why you got to make him brown? What was wrong with him white? And, you know, <laughs> and then you'll have people who say it doesn't matter, which if it didn't matter, then it shouldn't matter. Well, we're, we're back on the colorblind conversation. We're black yeah. on the colorblind <laughs> thing, right? Sure. So um, I'm, I am thankful for the partnership with Waterbrook that they believed wholeheartedly in this book's message and that we could engage and research scripture and research um, and go and make sure we were biblically accurate and historically accurate to, you know, what first century um, Jews in Egypt, you know, may have may have engaged in the Nile River. And um, I hope that it encourages people to go back and read their Bible to consider a Christmas story 
that is not just that one or two frames of the manger and the shepherds or the wise, yeah. but it's so much more. And um, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to, to write it and, and excited to share it with the world in early September. <laughs> That's right. Coming soon. Coming soon. Today, today you had some pre-order um, incentives on your website. Yes, they all just rolled out today. You know, we've been working on it for several weeks now and um, everything is about timing and when, you know, those mm -hmm. things go live. Um, and so for a few weeks now, people have opportunity to pre-order and go to um, there's a link um, on my website or on my socials where um, you basically upload and submit your pre-order receipt and then you get to download some freebies and um, they're just beautiful beautifully made artistic vignettes that people can enjoy all year round and certainly um, really treasure during the christmas season and um, so i i'm filled with hope that it will as i said call people back to to read their scriptures i hope that kids will ask I want to learn some more about these characters and that families will engage in some really rich conversations that points to how God sent his son and crafted his story to come from all kinds of people because he came for all people. That's yep. really the central message of the book. And I, I think a children's book is just a really fun way to, to share that. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fun way. And, and, I love you said it earlier, right? Like you were like, you're, I, I don't have your tagline down here. So you, your, your, your tagline was, it was for adults too, right? Yeah. That I write children's books that adults need too. That adults need too. And, and I actually just picture almost more fun for the adults uh, in this yes. and the kid, right? Because in, in many ways, children don't know that Jesus, <laughs> they don't know that, that, that's, they're supposed to believe Jesus is not for them. You know what I mean? Like they don't know that that has to be kind of taught to them. Like, hey, right. you're not going to see anybody who looks like you. So you've just got to understand that Jesus is not for you. They just assume he is. Right. That's and right. So, uh, but it's the adults that like myself, you know what I mean? Particularly the generation that I belong to uh, and probably the one right after me uh, in which you you didn't have that sort of openness to have that mm -mm. discussion mm -mm. Uh, or even knew that that discussion was supposed to be happening. You know what I mean? We, I've talked Absolutely. about it many times on the, the podcast before, like, you know, just being able to read through Revelation and the church of Revelation and, and, and you know, years ago, recognizing the intentionality uh, uh, that God was was articulating through John seeing the all the tribes, tongues and nations right there. There wasn't a there wasn't nobody's raving flags. So, you knew they're from different countries. They weren't uh, wearing dress that were from different countries. And even the language, he only really heard the language in a certain way. So he didn't even know there were mixed languages. And so it, it was the seeing of the different colors of skin that gave him this this understanding that, oh, these people are from all tribes, tongues and nations. Right. And so for me, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, yes, I think. It like almost subconsciously, I had kind of internalized a homogenation, if you will, of all people when they go to heaven. Because hey, everybody, everybody, you know, the pictures we'd seen is just white Jesus. So everybody turns into a white naked baby on a cloud. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah so, yeah. so to be able to have these visuals for adults, I think, will be life giving as well as they read this. And and the the again, you said it earlier, like parents who want to do better. Right. They want to 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 change the outlook for their kids in the way that they experience the culture and race in the midst of the Bible. 
to be able to sit down and read your kid and show them like a different version of what Jesus uh, looked like is is a powerful, powerful thing. Oh, I really, I really hope so. I, I and you, you're so right. You know, Marcus, I, I wrote this book for you. You know, I wrote it for the Marcus well, and Antoine. Thank you. Oh, oh, and the Doritos. I thought it was just. For me, not, I was not really just tough. for you, but well, figuratively speaking. It's on the front page, too. Yeah. <laughs> that does look like me. That, that little baby Jesus. I was like, like you. He, he did write You're that. Like, that was, she was thinking about me. You know, I got to be hey, look just you like see that. This? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love when adults, you know, when I sign books and they say this is for me, and it happens over and over, you know, yeah. when I'm signing books and, and I'll ask, who am I signing this to? And over and over, adults will say, this is for me. And at first, it kind of caught me off guard because I thought, well, they're, they're children's books. You know, surely there's a child in your life, a niece, a nephew, a school. <laughs> no. But after a while, it was like, people want these for themselves. Sure. And you you hit hit it on the, on the mark when you said, you know, what you didn't see, the portrayals that you didn't have. Um, that goes back so many generations. I, I was just um, at the civil rights room at our local Nashville library. It's a brilliant, brilliant and beautiful space. If anyone gets to visit Nashville, I so, so strongly encourage them to check it out. It's, it's a replica of the um, lunchroom sit-ins that Nashville played a pivotal role in, in the civil mm. rights movement. Yeah. And, um, and so I was just glancing as I often do at what books they have on display. And I was drawn to a book by Claudette, Colvin, who many people may not know her story, but she predates Rosa Parks in disrupting by, you know, not not um, going along with the, the Jim Crow segregation, right. um, you know, bus seat and and received a lot of, um, of of persecution because of her bold step. But now, of course, we we praise what she did as a child. But she mm. was sharing her story. And I, it stood out to me when she said in her story that we were taught that black people were cursed. And yeah. she, she it's something in her pushed back on that, even though that's what she as a black girl was taught. This is what she was taught that black people were cursed, but she thought, well, why am I cursed if God loves all people? So even right. as a child, she was grappling with what she was being taught, but it, it hurt my heart. My daughters and I were talking about how it's important for us to go back and revisit our history because we need to understand the things that we were taught that, that some of our leaders didn't know any better. And this is what they were handed to us. Mm -hmm. And so you Marcus and you Antoine and me, you know, as we were growing up, not having depictions of Jesus that looked anything close to us. And now it's like, he gets paler and paler and blonder. And, you know, and again, this is not any slight on people who bear the image of God with, with pale or blonde pale skin or blonde hair. But my point is that, you know, Jesus has only been portrayed one way. And I really wanted my book, Brown Baby Jesus, to disrupt that and to also replace that with a book that says, this is a brown Jesus as an opportunity for us to explore how Jesus came for people all over the world right? and how he is for them because that's who he came from is all kinds of people with all kinds of stories, you know, women and men who were broken, who had some really, really hard things in their story. So people who also have hard things, who don't have these wonderful, easy, happy, go lucky, well-to-do lives can say, wow, these people with those kind of situations. Yeah. God included them in Jesus's story. And so you can see, yourself in his story too. And if that happens 
And if adults can get that message, then they will pass it on to their children because it will change their hearts and their yeah. lives. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the, the, well, it's two things in this is one, it's always interesting because I do when, you know, travel across the world, you'll see people who have kind of taken the first family, if you will, in the sense kind of with Jesus and they've, they have kind of made him in their own image, right? You've got, you know, Chinese Jesus, you know, and you've got a Brazilian Jesus and whatever, Djibouti Jesus, which is very close actually to this place here. But, um, and I think that that's wonderful. And I think that that's, it's, it's wonderful that people, that Jesus can transcend to so many different places. Uh, but there's also something really powerful and, and, and I would dare even say more powerful to actually just locating Jesus in the context in which he was actually created. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and what was God trying to do with that? And, and what I, I, what's interesting is I think like, I'm, I'm kind of already looking forward to your, to your pushback. And I think people are going, Hey, you get Jesus in black. He's blah, blah, blah. But you didn't say black baby Jesus. You have Brown baby Jesus, right? Like it's, it's different. You know what I mean? You're, you're just kind of dropping him into the context in which he is located and giving truth to what he might've looked like. And so much of what you said all throughout this, this time together here is just like, I'm just trying to tell the truth. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm just, I'm, yes, not, yes. I'm, not, I'm not making up things. I'm just trying right. to actually bring in reality into right. the story that was actually going. And yet there are people, when you start to bring that reality, real history in, they want to push back on that. Right. right. They don't, they don't and, like, they, they and, like and it. Yeah, and that proves that it matters because yeah, because because there's a pushback where issue. I would make the case that it ultimately shouldn't matter, you know, uh, uh, in a way, in, in a sense. I mean, um, in the way that it it does now. But the reason it matters is because changing how Jesus looked had a very intentional, pre-thought, strategic. Um, motive mm-hmm. to to yeah. shift um, to to sort of fortify or to, to to be an addition to the fortification of a particular storyline yeah. that said something about white men and women versus non-white men and women, Absolutely. and and if that hadn't happened, then maybe maybe yeah. it's slightly less significant than it is, but the fact is that that did happen. And it created this narrative and this full centuries of history uh, that affected millions of people. Absolutely. That now going back and looking at something that should not have ever been done in the first place or correcting something that should have never been done in the first place. Absolutely. Does have these significant ripples as well. It begins to counter ripple that for those centuries of, of narration or narrative, narrative propaganda about a particular race. And uh, suddenly you have this children's book that's controversial, not because Jesus was brown, but because he's not white. And it, 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 and it matters that he's not white because there was a whole narrative around whiteness. That's right. right? That's and, right. That's right. Yeah. And so if you, didn't, if, you didn't, if you didn't have the narrative, then we would say, hey, Jesus, it would be what we all think. Jesus is a Jew. OK, Jesus was a Jew. It wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't mean as much as I think as it does. But. We've got this cultural thing, and so it it has it carries this this much larger weight. I think it's the case for a lot of race conversation. You know, there's a lot of things about the race conversation that had we not, if we weren't undoing the ripples of 
of whiteness and white supremacy from 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 centuries ago, they probably wouldn't think that wouldn't be things that mattered a great deal. But they do matter because they're all associative to this, Absolutely. to this history. Yeah. And, Absolutely. And, and here you are, you know, when you know, I was kind of tongue in cheeking earlier, talking about you know the the great wisdom and intelligence that you have, and condensing it into these children's book, children's books. Um, and uh, I was a children's minister for you know eight years, and so I, I definitely know the value uh, of engaging uh, that particular generation and what it means, you know, going forward. And so, it, it, it you could say that some of the work that you're doing, because of everything that Antoine just talked about, is some of the most important work that needs to be done right now, um, because we have this next generation that if we can just pull the, if we can just infuse the truth into them early, then we don't have to worry about the consequences of what they'll do with the lies later. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm just excited about, uh, you know, the, the work that you're doing and excited about uh, engaging and partnering with you and some things that we're talking about right now. And, and I know we'll see you at the uh, Mosaic Conference that's coming up in Dallas, uh, November 8th through the 10th. It's going to be an exciting yes. time. It's great for leaders. It's great for lay folks. I know you'll be there with lots of other different speakers. And so I, I encourage people, if you haven't gotten your tickets to the Mosaic Conference, mosaicconference.com. Uh, you can go over there and, and get those tickets there. Threaded is going to be engaging on the digital space. So if you're if you can't get into the uh, to, to Dallas into the, the, the motherland, if you will, uh, to to come and see everything, you can definitely engage us personally and then other speakers uh, through the, the, the yeah. Conference. Make sure make sure you get on the uh, what you should do is uh, if you're going to do it digitally. If it can't get to Dallas, right, then you should you should go to the wearethreaded.org website and just get on our newsletter list because very soon, as soon as we as soon as we get it all worked out, we will we will provide some some special some specialness for those people that are coming from our threaded our yeah. threaded people. So right, so we want to make sure that we include you in that. So oh, yeah. 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 on that stuff, and we're excited. We come in a little late to the process or later in the process, so we're. We're, we're, we're jumping in and, and working with uh, Mosaic to get that up for everybody so they can be a part of it. Uh, but I know Dorena will be in the space. Um, so so kind of getting to just the last kind of quick questions here is um, first, uh, I'd love to know, you mentioned earlier, you were like, kids give me book ideas uh, all the time, right? Like, do you have a favorite crazy fun book idea that a, that a child's given you uh, as, as they've come up to you? Anything that you can... Oh, well, I can't think of anything like super crazy. Um, I, when I first released my colorful and then, you know, thoughtful and then graceful books. And, and for those who have not seen them, they all end with F-U-L-L. So it's color and then F-U-L-L, yeah. thought and then F-U-L-L, grace and then F-U-L-L. Um, I was at a particular elementary school and... Um, it was just one of those unusual things. I was invited to, to read and to speak at this school. And in exchange for doing so, um, one of the couples who was a benefactor of, of that school said, we'd love to you know, give you a couple of nights to stay in our, we have a vacation sort of lodge home and would love to offer that to you. And I was like, mm. you know, that actually would be really, really I'm cool. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all right. I'm, I'm quite okay with that. <laughs> um, but the, the sweetest part of, of that story, you know, you never know when you go in and you engage with kids. And that's what I love about kids. Sure. You just don't know. You cannot 
put kids in a box. And that's what's so delightful. And for some people, <laughs> unnerving, <laughs> certainly parents at times, right? And illegal. But, <laughs> I mean, you don't want to put kids in a box, you know, it's just not. <laughs> you, you really should, should not. Right. Unless you're like playing a game for like just a, like one minute or something. Sure, like a short game. Right. A short, short game, game short game. Yeah. But um, <laughs> the kids, I started engaging with the kids about the story and then they started throwing out all these ideas. You should write a book about being merciful and this full and that full. And it was just kind of like, they started ping-ponging ideas. And so yes. that I turned it and said, well, you guys, maybe you guys should write your own full stories, you know? Well, one of the teachers literally took my idea and oh. had these sweet first grade, I think they was either first or second grade kids, and they wrote their own little one-page full stories. Mm. Oh, and that's then awesome. she sent them to me. Nice. And, you know, it was several weeks after I had spoken at that school, and I get this package, and I'm kind of looking at it like, oh, what is this? I recognize the name of the school. And, of course, I opened it up, and I cried because oh the, the time that it came in the mail was like the raven that brought the food to the prophet Elijah. <laughs> you, you just know, needed that nourishment. Met his provision. Yes. It was a provision that my heart needed. I think, I don't know what I was going through. Who knows? But it was, I was having a bit of a discouraging, just a doubting uncertainty moment. And then here God just sends this little, you know, packet of, of 20 little handwritten stories from these yeah. sweet kids who have been impacted by me, a stranger coming to read at their school. And so I, you know, wrote back a, a note to them and sent some little things to just inspire them. But but things like that just they do your heart good. And again, yeah. that's why I engage with kids because adults just they don't do stuff like that. <laughs> no. But kids just keep it fresh and they they ask you questions that make you pause and um, they remind you of the responsibility as you you really hit on that markets, you know, that that we get to help give God's truth and God's light to this generation of children yeah. and help mm -hmm. dispel the darkness and to hopefully coat their heart and minds with the power of God's truth so that when those lies try to come, when someone tries to come to that brown kid and, and say something <laughs> negative about their skin color, that they have already had God's truth come to guard their hearts and their minds and they know that's a lie. Or when that white child hears somebody say something negative about another image bearer, they've heard God's truth. It's been taught to them. They've read it in my books and they know that is not correct. Yeah. That is a lie. And they can speak up yeah. and, 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 and respectfully, but, but, but firmly say that's not true. And that's not right. Cause maybe that child or that adult that's speaking that lie has not been taught God's truth. So they're mm -hmm. only speaking what they've been given. Yeah, And so one by one, I, I hope that adults hear that, that they can yeah. harm children. Why, why talk about Juneteenth and colorblindness and all these big topics? Because kids can. They can yeah. speak to it. They can be, contrary to your person, Antoine, who said we don't want to raise activists. Mm -hmm. I come against that. We are. Paul said to Timothy, don't let anyone look down at you because you're young. Yeah. That kind of sounds like he was raising Timothy to be an activist. Don't you let them put you down because you're young Timothy. You set an example, you know, and Paul mm -hmm. was all about activating young Timothy in his faith. So sure. like that, we have the opportunity and I'm here for it with, with these books and resources that God has called me to write and with the good work that you all are doing with colored commentary and threaded um, just to help adults be armed. So we can see that to children and we can really um, bear, bear God's life in, in really powerful ways. Yeah, no, I love that. Uh, 
you know, you've got a lot of listeners who I think are, are just really overwhelmed by uh, the stories that you've been given today. Um, you know, I, I know that they're, they, like you said, they desire, our listeners are community weavers, right? Their desire to, to make change. They want to do different things going forward. And we're here to guide them and give them resources that are help them to accomplish what they are trying to accomplish in the midst of how they want to do better in this race conversation and engage. And I think your resources are going to be super helpful. So tell, tell us how all the plays can, can people get in contact with you uh, as, they, as they participate this way? Well, I love to engage with people. I seek really hard, really try to respond to messages and tags and things like that. Um, and I especially love when I'm tagged with pictures of kids reading, okay. engaging with my books. Oh my gosh, if you want to make my day, tag me with one of your sweet little people or send me a message. You don't want to put it broadly out if you want to just send it. But I love, love, love those. So I really do try to engage with folks on, on social media. I'm most active on Instagram at Darina Williamson. Um, I pop on Twitter occasionally. Um, I'm also on Facebook because my mama and my aunties and those <laughs> folks are there. So I, I yep, can't yep. completely depart from Twitter. So I'm there as well. Um, you know, if, if people are interested in continuing conversations or, or uh, you know, considering me coming to engage either virtually or in person, you know, my website, as you all have noted, DorenaWilliamson.com, you can get in touch with me there and, and we can, you know, continue conversation. Um, but I, I'm just, I'm here to serve. I'm here to fulfill the purposes that God has given to me for this generation. And I want um, to know that my life was a part of helping to make a difference, you know, to advancing the kingdom of God, you know, on earth, as you all know, on earth as it is in yeah. heaven. And yeah. so um, I'm, I'm here for that and grateful for the partnership with the good work that y'all are doing as well. <laughs> Man, well, look, this is Dorena Williamson, D-O-R-E-N-A Williamson, and she has been an amazing, you have been an amazing guest for us on Color Commentary. Uh, the book that just came out is The Story of Juneteenth. Check it out. Get it now or get it every year at Juneteenth and give it away as gifts to everybody who needs to do it. And the book coming out in September is Brown Baby Jesus. Uh, and you've heard many other titles. You can find those on her website as well. Uh, they're great for those who are kids or kids at heart or those who are just trying to to uh, overcome some of the things that maybe they were taught growing up uh, in the midst of this color conversation. Uh, this has been a great convo, Dorena. Thank you for coming out. Uh, awesome. I enjoyed it so much. Looking forward to spending more time with you, Dorena. Same, Absolutely. same, same. Absolutely. Thank you all. I feel like I've just been sitting in the living room chatting with fam. That's so. exactly right. Exactly. Love right. We love that. It, you know, all your books kind of have that, uh, or several of your books have that last F-U-L-L. -L, and I know I am F-U-L-L uh, in this conversation as well. So we thank you for being a, a part of that. And as I said, you'll be able to engage with Dorena even more uh, with Threaded. She, uh, we were in conversation about uh, her creating a webinar for our Threaded Collective. Uh, and so if you have not become a part of our Threaded Collective, this is our subscription service that uh, we constantly are fueling in uh, different resources to help you along in your journey to become a community weaver in your church and in your community and in life. And so Doreen is going to be another one of our faculty to bring in and give you some things that'll help you as you engage in lots of different things. But I know first and primarily for those of you who are parents wanting to help uh, learn how to uh, teach your kids about this race conversation, she's going to give us some, some uh, tips in that as well. So 
Uh, we thank you guys for joining us. As always, this is Colored Commentary, and the colored stands for all the different perspectives, the colorful perspectives that come uh, when we come together, able to look through different lenses and see the world in all of its, if I can say it, Darina, its fullness. Uh, yes, yes. Fullness of color. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. So as you go along your way, we, as we say here uh, at Colored Commentary, make sure that you stay colored. You have been listening to Colored Commentary, powered by Threaded, a biblical reconciliation organization. To find out more about Threaded, check out wearethreaded.org. And to join the show for live recordings and other events, subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out at coloredcommentary.com.